1: Welcome back to another episode of On The Line. I'm already giggling with my guest today. His name is Will Williams. I'm not convinced that's actually his real name, but he is, I don't know if you want to say meditation guru, meditation expert, meditation leader, cult leader. Oh, um, <laughs> well, what, what would you call yourself, Will?
2: Uh, I see myself very simply as a teacher, actually.
1: Okay, he's a teacher and he's already taken his shoes off, I assume, to become more grounded in this conversation. Absolutely. Um, But basically, I really wanted to have you on the show, Will, because I did one of your courses. Um, I don't know when that would have been, a couple of months ago now. Meditation is something I've been interested in. I was like, maybe this is for me, maybe it's not, but I wanted to see what it was all about. I got an email saying, would you like to come along to one of, uh, I don't know if it was like your publicist or something, and I was like, you know what? Actually, that sounds like a good thing for me. So I did the course. I found it very interesting. I really loved the whole initial ceremony, etc., which I want to get into more depth of, depth of meditation. But I want to start this off by talking about your story, your journey towards meditation, because I assume you didn't come out of the birth canal meditating.
2: Absolutely not, no. Uh, I came out of the birth canal causing mischief from on day one. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I was very far away from all of this. I lived a very, very rock and roll life um, from a very early age and continued that by going into the music industry because then I could actually be a professional rock and roller.
1: What does that mean? Drug, sex, alcohol?
2: Absolutely, all of it.
1: That sounds amazing.
2: Yeah, it was good fun for a while, but it starts to take its toll. And actually, a little bit depressingly, the music industry wasn't as fun when I was in it Okay. Then, you know... Had it been the 60s, 70s, or 80s, I probably wouldn't have lived through it, but you know, <laughs> by, the, by the mid-2000s, it was quite a tame affair, so I was trying to fly the flag for old-school rock and roll, but um, yeah, there weren't too many people who were up for partying that hard.
1: Okay, well, you didn't know me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we would have had a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> okay, so you were doing this whole rock and roll lifestyle, yeah. and eventually something, did you hit a rock bottom?
2: yeah i guess i was actually slowly sinking into the abyss of insomnia and burnout and just chronic lacking of energy and just not feeling myself anymore um but i'm a very i was always a very determined chap and always very kind of hopeful that things would improve and of course there was always all of those fun naughty things to help stimulate you into a peak state for a short period of time so i would lean on all of that to get me through but it was becoming increasingly clear that something wasn't right and you know i was in my sort of mid to late 20s and i was feeling like i was 50 years old and um I tried lots of different things, acupuncture, yoga, reflexology, and all of these lovely things. And I felt really good. I enjoyed them at the time. But they didn't actually change my set point of being. And I'd kind of given up and was resigned to the idea of well, I just have to live with it being this very mediocre existence with occasional spike highs and lows. And then I was out partying in Shoreditch. And I met this chap who happened to be a friend of a friend and he just bent my ear about this meditation thing and said, you've got to do it. It's amazing. And he didn't seem like your typical hippie. And I thought, well, if it's good enough for him, maybe it's good enough for me. And mm-hmm. that's really how it started.
1: You seem like a try anything once kind of guy.
2: <laughs> yeah, I very much am.
1: <laughs> and that's kind of Which my got approach. me into trouble sometimes. I mean, you know now that's what life is all about sometimes um but you're on the straight and narrow now (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you listen to this chap's advice and did you just attend a course or
2: yeah so I, I actually it was interesting I dallied for about two months I don't know why and it's funny because now I'm a teacher I see lots of people do this um I think subconsciously there is a realization that this actually might be quite a significant thing in your life and so for whatever reason I dallied and then I did it and then within two weeks the insomnia went and I started to feel much more myself and I had loads more energy and I was thinking so much more clearly I was getting my work done two hours quicker each day and I was just like this is genius where has this been in my life and that was the my entry into this world and because I am a very curious fellow that stimulated quite a lot of interest in me and how the hell is this thing doing what it's doing so quickly, so profoundly, and why doesn't everybody know about it? So I then went on a multi-year adventure to find out all the answers to all of my um, inquiries.
1: And I assume that involved a little bit of travel?
2: Yes, three years around the world. Wow. Wow it was cool.
1: Tell me some highlights.
2: Oh, so many highlights. So we started off by I I went with my then girlfriend. And um, so we put all of our stuff in storage, Bought a one way ticket to Delhi, because obviously India is the home of all this sort of stuff.
1: Was she also into meditation?
2: She started a year later. She'd seen the change in me. And she wanted to leave it as my little thing. But in the end, she couldn't, she needed wanted that much for herself. So and it was really interesting She had quite a bad snoring problem and in a week her snoring disappeared. Really? Yeah, and her anxiety and it was her anxiety took maybe a couple of months, but it was really, really remarkable to see her transformation and she suddenly became this really, really organized individual who was able to get to things on time for the first time in her life and yeah, it, it did a completely different set of things for her. So, yeah, we took off together, we went to India, we were en route to meet this legend in the Himalayas, and actually in Delhi we met another super legend, spent a month with him.
1: How do you get in touch with super legends? (laughs)
2: Um, We got quite lucky with that. I'd just been very curious to try this, um, to take a deep dive into the ancient Indian tradition of Ayurveda, and it just so happened that there was an Ayurvedic hospital in Delhi, so we rocked up there and it just so happened that the main doctor there was the most revered Ayurvedic doctor in India. And yeah, I mean, he's to this day, he's one of the most impressive I've met in my 12 year journey. And I fly around all over the world to find the best people. And yes, we kind of got lucky with that one.
1: Wow. You must know my friend Jasmine Hemsley, the queen of Ayurveda, which I can never say that word. Did I say it right?
2: Uh, You said it right. Yes. Um, yeah, that's right. So, um, jasmine uh, has been on several retreats of ours oh and really i didn't yeah.
1: i actually didn't know that
2: yeah and um so i actually recommended her to go and see this chap's fam- visit this chap's family in hyderabad oh my god and then she obviously saw the ayurvedic light and actually i was there with her at the time and um yeah it was really really it was quite interesting to hear some of her reports about <laughs> what was going down
1: weird that these worlds are colliding i really Indeed. had no idea i love her so much
2: she's Yeah, she's fabulous.
1: Um, Okay, so you're doing that. And I assume when you're in India, everything is hunky-dory, you're feeling great. But then how do you apply that to the, the modern life that we live over here? The technology, the exhaustion, the depression, the anxiety, the stress. How can you possibly maintain a Zen lifestyle here?
2: That's an amazingly important question. So one of my, the central part of my mission was to find the best set of tools and knowledge that would fit into this life, because it was very apparent that, yes, if you're on a mountaintop, if you're in an ashram, it's easy. You know, you can spend hours and hours a day doing this stuff and, you know, everything's set up to keep you in your little Zen bubble. But so, what is going to be easy to learn, easy to practice, quick to do, able to do it in you know various different environments? Doesn't have dogma because I just being the rebel that I always was. Oh, dogma was never going to work for me. Um, and what is dogma? Well, it's when whenever you've kind of you're supposed to do it this way, you should do this, you should do that, you should do the other. I I absolutely find. That whole concept of should, very um, abhorrent because it's down to each individual to work out what's appropriate for them, and we all have an innate conscience. So if there is something that we could all agree is universally a transgression of sort of um, good principles, then we will know that inside, and we don't, unless we happen to be extremely out of balance, we don't need other people to tell us. So. I would rather enable people to be able to tune into their deepest place beyond all of the conditioning, beyond all of the expectations of their family and society so that they can actually f- find their own truth and live that truth. And, and there are techniques out there that can do that very well. We're teaching one of those. And then it was a case of, well, what's missing? What are the gaps? Because obviously the tradition of meditation that I teach is from the Himalayas, and is 5,000 years old, or longer actually, but that was when it sort of reached its peak. And so we're in a very, very different world now. And it was very evident to me that there were a couple of gaps. So then I continued flying around the world trying to find extras to help fill the gaps so that what we could offer the world would be very complete. And then it's a case of working with people in a way that is fun rather than serious because so many people take this way too seriously and I feel that generally as a society we're taking everything too seriously and ourselves too seriously so let's bring the fun back into it let's give people the science to help kind of pacify their left brain.
1: Well, is there scientific stuff backing all these claims so up? So
2: much. I mean, it's actually quite ridiculous how much science there is. but.
1: I mean, I did hear you ramble on and on about it for hours during the, <laughs> the course. So
2: um, there is, there's so much science to back all of the different things up. But you still find resistance. It's really interesting. So one of the, one of the biggest markers for your health and well-being is these things called telomeres and they protect your DNA and if they're in good condition then your DNA is in good condition and your overall health and well-being is strong but they tend to shorten over time and that's just been the way it is as far as science is concerned but there's now been four massive studies that have all shown that actually meditation is the one thing that increases your telomere length and by like 40% and there's a great book called the telomere effect that goes on and on about that and so, yes, whether it's your telomeres, whether it's the your performance capabilities, whether it's the coherence of your brain, the activation of the prefrontal cortex, which is your most important part of your brain, whether it's the fact that your memory center actually grows, um, there's your heart rate calms down, your digestion improves. There is science backing up so much of this. Um, so, and I find, feel that that's very important for people because there is still this perception that meditation is sort of for monks and hippies. Right. And there is a lot of woo-woo out there. And, you know, people just wanting to wave crystals in your face.
1: Are Um, you not a crystal fan?
2: I don't mind crystals. I know how they work, but most people are using them in a way that is actually not very helpful for them, so it's kind of ironic. And also, the vast majority of the general public have no just won't be able to even conceive how a crystal could aid you in any way. Um, So, yeah, I understand how they work and I respect them. And every now and again, I might make use of them, but I don't really make it any part of my teaching because there are other ways to achieve those things that people are more comfortable with.
1: I see, I see. Okay, so let's break it down. What is meditation? Meditation.
2: Well, that is down to, I guess, different people's interpretation. But the ancient, the so the technique that I teach is the oldest technique in the world. And it comes from this wider civilization called the Vedic civilization that came to an end about 5,000 years ago in India. And according to that civilization, which feels like it sort of invented it, um, meditation is the process of letting go of all of... The tension, stress, cloudiness, all of the all of the things going on in your mind, your body and your emotions and in your energy field that are preventing you from being your best self. Just letting that go so that actually your core essence is able to shine through all, all the way through your mind and body and you can let, go out into the world and express that. So it's the process of letting go.
1: When you meet people sometimes can you say can you tell if they're meditators or not
2: oh definitely there's <laughs> a there's a sparkle in their eyes like there's it's like do you know what the the one time when you can potentially mistake it is if someone's in the throes of that sort of honeymoon love right and they have that glow behind their eyes, and perhaps also uh pregnant women as well when they have that glow that's the one time when it's You could mistake it. Obviously, if someone's got a big bump, then you know it's probably not the meditation. Um, (laughs) Or it could be both. It could be both. Imagine
1: the double whammy.
2: I know, can you imagine?
1: into meditation.
2: Just, yeah, you'd be blinding people with your glow. (laughs) So, um, yeah, you can usually tell because there's just a freshness to their appearance and a glow to their eyes. And something about their demeanor, which is just really welcoming rather than the edginess that you see elsewhere
1: that you're seeing when you look at me
2: actually i have to say you're doing pretty good
1: (laughs) okay so look i'm somebody i'm listening at home and i'm like right okay this sounds pretty good Hmm. what not everybody lives in london not everyone can do your course but i guess you do courses all over the place but what is what's the first step here
2: So, yeah, if you're not within shooting range of a teacher who can personally teach you, which I'm always the biggest advocate of, then it's a case of, well, maybe you go online or um, download an app. We have our own app, which we've created. And what I like about that is we're trying to teach people via the app so you don't have to be dependent on this bloody digital device that otherwise you end up being hooked into and you have to keep subscribing for your life if you want to be well.
1: I know we're talking about... Headspace. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Well, I better not say any names. Um, But (laughs) But no, I mean,
1: that's a good point, actually, because I think people think about meditation only as guided meditation. Correct. um, Where you're listening to somebody say, now, just imagine you're sitting on a chair and blah, 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 which honestly it is lovely to listen to. But the way you teach meditation, it's not guided. It's all self-regulated.
2: Correct. Because... There's a number of different aspects to that. First of all, if you're dependent on going to a class for your, you know, for your hit of meditation, that's going to end up being like a once a week affair. One one meditation a week is going to do nothing for your life. Um, it's also more importantly, much more empowering. If you actually have the skills to manage your own life without de- being dependent on Will or Andy from Headspace or Tara from Are you
1: guys all friends or do you hate each other? (laughs) I need to know. (laughs) Can
2: you imagine if we're all there secretly (laughs) like voodoo dolling each other? Um, So empowerment is absolutely critical in my view. And also when we teach you, we're able to give you tools that will give you a much more profound level of development. Yes. Than if we're just giving you this sort of generic thing. Um, that you keep listening to. And, of course, you're going to get bored. with. It. I don't care how good anyone's voice is. And I actually think Tara from Calm has got a great voice. But I'm not sure I'd want to listen to her for every day for two years.
1: Fair enough. Um, but I also don't know if I want to listen to myself every day and I'm trapped in this body, Will.
2: <laughs> well, that's the point of the techniques we teach is to actually help you transcend yourself so that you become so expansive that you you rise above all of your dramas and you realize your connection with everything in the world and in the universe. And I don't want to sound too hippie, but that is possible for us to do. And it's very, very powerful to do that because it gives us a greater sense of belonging and a greater sense of purpose and a much greater sense of perspective. And of course, you get that feeling of not being trapped in your little life situations.
1: Oh, That would be nice. So look, I used to date somebody who was very into transcendental meditation. Yes. What is this? Is that what you're teaching?
2: Very similar. They come from the same tradition. Got it. So um, the original, the tradition is called the Shankaracharya tradition, and it's the most revered one in India. The practice that we teach is known as Nishkam Karma Yoga, which again, nobody's going to be able to remember that. So we all end up giving it a different name. It doesn't really matter. yeah, TM is kind of... TM. Yeah, exactly. That's right. It's become shortened. <laughs> um, and ironically, it is also trademarked. Yes. So therefore, it is TMTM. Oh,
1: it's actually trademarked? It is trademarked. How yeah. funny. Wow. So, Meditation jokes.
2: I know. What has my life come to? <laughs> so, well,
1: apparently it's come to something fucking amazing. Yes,
2: it, ha- it is actually <laughs> fucking amazing. I have to be honest. Far more than I could ever hoped for. But so, yeah, TM teach this amazing technique, but they've become very, very big, so it has a certain flavor about it. And so, they're doing cool things, but it's not everyone's cup of tea.
1: Got it. Can I talk about what happens during your
2: course? Of course. Is that
1: like secret, unless you pay for the course?
2: Yeah, (laughs) you can, it's fine. Hey, just go for it.
1: We'll just go for it. So, I rock up to your place, lovely, smells like incense, (laughs) awesome. And we start doing this. Well, I had to bring fruit. And flowers. And flowers. And I had no idea why, but we ended up, well, you ended up performing a ceremony. Can, can you talk about that? Because we didn't actually really get into that, I feel like, in the course.
2: No. Um, I can talk a little bit about okay. it. Okay. Uh, I guess it's slightly more at the esoteric end of the spectrum. Uh, the, first, the first main reason why we do that is to help get ourselves into this super crystal clear, very pure state so that then we can do the best job by you. Because if we're coming from that higher place, when we give you the mantra, it'll be the right mantra and it'll be transmitted to you in a way that is just very, very, very clean and resonant. And then when you start using that, that resonance will have more impact on you. Secondly, The ancient Indians were the ultimate masters of sound. I don't believe there's any culture that we know of that understood the interaction between sound and the human nervous system as well as they did. And by singing that song, we are also helping your brain get into a very, very um, heightened alpha state. And that is a very, very fertile ground for you to begin your very first meditation. Mm. And what it does is it... It means that your first experience of meditation is very, very powerful. And so you end up feeling empowered from day one, as opposed to just, you know, I was on the Chris Evans show, for example, and at the end of the show, he's like, what's my mantra? What's my mantra? I was like, dude, I can't give it to you here. That's just, you know, it's not going to work as well. It's very important to set the trajectory right. Because once you get that trajectory right, then that person has a much higher chance of achieving quicker and more profound results. The other aspect of the tradition, the ceremony, which I think is very, very useful, is it helps show you that this is something that's very ancient and has been formulated by lots of legends over thousands of years. And that the person giving you that mantra and who may well be about to change your life Is simply a 21st century conduit and it means that you don't put unnecessary reverence on the teacher and also as a teacher if you start off by grounding yourself in that state it's much easier to stay humble because people can get big heads especially when you know everyone's telling you that your life has changed their life has changed and that you are just this great person it's like no I'm just I'm just someone who's you know teaching stuff and Fine. that's
1: it. Um, okay. I really enjoyed that, that part of things. And I often find myself kind of coming back to it. So then you hit me with the mantra. Yes. Now, I have so many questions about the mantra, <laughs> which I'm sure everyone does. Everyone is so well, fascinated with the You're saying mantras. it over and over. And mm. you, you're kind of thinking, like, what, what, the, what does this mean? Mm. So how, how do you choose a mantra for someone? Does everyone have a different mantra? Is it specific to me? Could my mantra change? These are my questions.
2: Okay, so how do you choose the mantra? You get trained over a long period of time to be able to identify what's going on with someone energetically. I mean, you could use a very a slightly more logical approach to doing it, but that doesn't seem to work as well. When you've got When you've got super heightened perception, You can pick up a lot of information about people. You can uh, effectively identify what someone's sonic color is. And so then you just get into your little toolbox and you give them a little sound which matches their sonic color.
1: Okay. I'm going to need some deets on what a sonic color is. Is Ah. that someone's aura?
2: It's not their aura because your aura changes, you know, day to day, minute to minute. Uh, Albeit there will be consistencies and, um, you know. Your aura is very different to Donald Trump's, for example, and well, I'm I sure it'd be very so. releasing. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, but similar to that, everyone has a core color and um, which is a a manifestation of a core vibration. And so a core vibration has color. It has sound. It has a feeling. And so my expertise Is in feeling and hearing people's energetic colors Um, I can see stuff as well but not quite to the level that some of my um, some of my friends and contacts do so then you allocate according to that it's super intuitive which is very hard for a lot of people to get their heads around and it can sound a little bit like mumbo jumbo and that's fine which is why I don't tend to talk about this stuff too much but I feel like your audience will be perhaps more open to this. So
1: well, I think so. We've spoken about Reiki on this show. Cool. So is this, is it similar to Reiki? What you what you're describing?
2: Yeah, I mean it's not worlds apart. Reiki is using also sound. Um, certainly from Reiki two onwards, you have a few different sounds that they make use of, and they also use symbols. Interestingly, because symbols can carry quite a strong vibration. But relatively this is a much more sophisticated and impactful thing than Reiki. But that's not to diss Reiki, that's just to say that there is Reiki was founded by one guy, what, 130 years ago or something, in Japan. This was hundreds, if not thousands, of Uber enlightened legends all coming together and helping to formulate this knowledge base. And because of that there's just yeah, there's 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 levels of technical and spiritual sophistication that you don't find in many places.
1: Okay, so um, right, you you're in the mindset, you've got the mantra. I think what you, maybe some of my questions were before I did the course, and what I know a lot of people are wondering is, so then you just sit in a chair or wherever, and just close your eyes and just. Sit there for twenty minutes, like how can that how can that help? but I want you to try to explain actually what you 're doing and what is happening during your meditation and how long should it be and really dig into it
2: sure um, the first thing is actually it 's been shown by research that just sitting and closing your eyes for twenty minutes without doing anything is beneficial to you, interestingly, which is probably Uh, a symptom of the fact that we never actually do that and we're always on the go and our body is effectively always in survival mode, always in doing mode and even if we just stop doing that's good for us. But the impact of this particular technique where you very gently repeat these sounds within your mind there's a couple of really key things that happen. First of all your brain will start going into a globalized state of alpha wave coherence. Usually when we're in busy mode, we're in the beta mode. When you go into alpha state, you are much more creative. You cannot feel fear or anxiety. And the whole of your brain is able to connect and cohere in a way that makes it a much more functional organ for us. And one of the outputs of the meditation is that by systematically putting yourself into that state every time you meditate. And if you do it regularly, if you do it consistently, your brain will actually start to neuroplastically rewire itself away from the stress and angsty states into something which is much more high level. And this is the state which, from which you get eureka moments. So if you give someone a really, really, really difficult problem to solve and they've got an EEG skullcap on their brain, at the moment they have the big revelation of solving it, their brain very temporarily spikes up into this peak performance state. Olympic athletes have more of this, and some of the most elite business people have this, but they don't necessarily know how they got there. It just Maybe they're just more innately gifted, or maybe they just worked really, really hard to get a little bit of a percentage increase. Whereas with this... You can shortcut the whole thing by using these little sonic triggers to trigger that state. So that's point one. Point two, we have this, within our nervous system, there is the autonomic nervous system, which is two branches. And one is called your parasympathetic, that's your relaxation response. And then you've got your sympathetic, which is your stressy response. When you start doing this, very quickly, your nervous system starts pacifying, balancing out those two branches so that you feel more relaxed. And when your nervous system gets into a really heightened state of de-excitation, which you can't seem to access in any other way that I know of, then your nervous system starts throwing off all of the memories of pain and trauma and stress and negativity that you've experienced. First of all, what you've experienced in the last 12 or 24 hours. And once you've gotten rid of that it can start digging into the archives and letting go of some of that stuff that's been hanging over you your whole life. And, you know, you keep doing this on a daily basis. You can chip away at all of your, all of those legacy issues from your life. And of course, once you start freeing yourself from that, A, your body starts working better, and B, you are now a more open, happier, friendlier person who's able to respond to the challenges of life based on the information in the moment and the circumstances in the moment, rather than bringing all of those legacy issues to bear and then shouting at people and feeling betrayed or all of those other things that we feel when someone does something that doesn't meet our expectations.
1: Well, I mean, honestly, no wonder people are dilly-dallying. Who wants (laughs) to work through all that drama? Well,
2: the good thing is most of it you don't actually have to work through. Your body takes care of it whilst you're just sitting in the meditation, wondering what the mantra means. Um, So um, the, and am I saying it like, should I say it like this? Or should I say it like that? So all that's going on. Meanwhile, your body is just dumping the greatest hits of trauma and pain. into (laughs) The greatest hits. Yeah. Um, (laughs)
1: My most played Spotify album.
2: Yes. Trauma so, greatest hits. <laughs> but, you know, in reality, uh, some people are sufficiently out of balance that there will be a little bit of emotion coming up and out Absolutely. Through their meditation. And that's not anything to be scared about. It's better out than in. And if you can take a little bit of short-term kind of... Wobbles. <sighs> wobbles and turbulence, the, on the other side of that, a life experience that you probably had lost hope of experiencing now awaits you. And that is gold. You feel like an absolute world champion. Um, And it's the same with anything. You know, if you want a six pack, you kind of have to go through a little bit of pain to get a six pack. But this is the most painless way I know of, of developing a spiritual six pack.
1: A spiritual six pack. (laughs) Um, Okay, but just to circle back and rein it back in, Will Will Williams, um, (laughs) you're sitting in the chair you're you're the room is quiet you're by yourself you're in your bed maybe yeah and what's happening you're you're just repeating the mantra over and over again what if nobody somebody doesn't have a mantra a lot of people are asking I want to start so I just you just sit there and just repeat the word sunshine over and over again
2: yeah that's not really gonna do that much for you that's the thing um so if you you can access the Beeja app if you want, and you can choose a mantra, which all of them will work for people in quite a profound way. But if you don't have, if you haven't been given one by an expert, and if you're not inclined to use the app, which is fine, then I would probably not go with mantras actually, because unless they are passed on in a particular way and taught in a particular way, they're not actually that effective. Okay. So, Harvard did a really interesting study actually, monitoring uh, the impact of six different meditation styles mindfulness, Zen, Vipassana, visualization, mantra, and this one, Nishkam Kadami Yog. And um, they were able to deduce the effect size on your relaxation response, your anxiety, your performance capabilities. And using generic mantras was at, and visualization were actually pretty poor. They didn't get people that far. Uh, whereas the personalized ones get you very far. So, and then in the middle of all of that, you've got things like Zen, mindfulness, vipassana. So if you're going to DIY it, then I would maybe look at di- um, breathing exercises, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of which you'll find loads on the internet. Or I would just tune into one of these guided meditation offerings and do it that way. So it wouldn't seem to be just trying to tell people how to do it over via a podcast. is like trying to tell people how to ride a bike over a podcast. It's, it's you know, it's just very very challenging. If I could, it'd be great because I could basically just have weekends and evenings back and I wouldn't have to spend them teaching and I could just get reach millions and billions of people um, with minimal effort. But as much as people hanker for, you know, a one page uh, precy of how to meditate fantastically well or, you know, to squeeze it into a 30 minute segment on radio or podcast, it's just not actually feasible.
1: Okay, that's fair enough. And I do think there is something about the human contact of doing a course yes. that makes it stick a bit more. Um, but I do have a lot of questions coming in from people asking, so while I'm meditating, I can't help it. I have all these ideas flying in. And of course, that's, that's natural, I assume. Um, from my understanding, the point of meditating isn't to just sit there and think about all the things I need to do uh, on my to do list. But those thoughts obviously do come in. And from what I remember from the course, you just kind of see them and let them float on past. Is that correct?
2: Indeed. Yeah, that would be a reasonable summary. Because the simple reality is, we're all living these very busy lives. And we're overloaded with stimulation from all the screens we're looking at, from racing to work, coming back from work, doing all the domestic stuff, social stuff, chucking in loads of caffeine and other things just to keep stimulating ourselves, keep ourselves going, using adrenaline. We're kind of abusing our adrenal glands in quite a major way. So when you sit down, there is that excessive stimulation going on in your nervous system which will cause the neurons in your brain to oscillate. And that will cause lots of thought forms. There's no point fighting that. It's a, you know, if you are on a mountaintop and you live in a monastery and you've got bugger all to do all day long, those neurons will be quite settled and you can kind of focus your way into states. If you're living an everyday life, you are going to spend your time very self-defeatingly trying to fight the thoughts and it's not going to work. You're not going to enjoy it and you will probably give up. So the whole point of what we're teaching is to work with the modern world rather than trying to fight it and pretend that we're still living on a mountaintop because it's a waste of time. Okay.
1: And you said it was also a waste of time just to meditate once a week.
2: Pretty much, yeah. And
1: that is why I fell off the wagon.
2: Uh Uh-huh. I fucked up. Hey. See, again, it's... I would never advocate... um, rating yourself or feeling guilty if you don't meditate you meditate or you don't meditate who cares like it's your it's your choice i don't believe in perfectionism either like trying to be follow the meditation rule book and do it absolutely every day exactly when you're supposed to do all that stuff like what a waste of time that is there is a sweet spot in the middle and unfortunately westerners find it difficult to cope with the idea of balance because we love clinging to one polar extreme or the other I know and and you get the fuck it mentality as well yes. if I'm not perfect well fuck it I might as well not do it at all That's in fact my I might as mentality. well go out and get absolutely wrecked and maybe snort a line of coke oh my
1: just... god You have you been following me yeah. <laughs> kidding guys
0: <laughs> one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt until you tried it on
2: yeah, it's uh, once a week is going to do very little for you. Right. If you can be hitting seven to 12 meditations a week, which is actually not as difficult as people might think, you are going to be in the sweet spot and you're going to find change. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. Until such a point is you're so now so clear and so calm and so ordered in the way that you're doing things and your self-esteem has improved so that you... Feel like you're worth it. And then it just fits into your life and you carry on doing it indefinitely because it's the thing funding this greater experience of happiness and life progress that you're now enjoying so much.
1: I will say, I think it is the ultimate act of self-love to it meditate. Is.
2: I agree. It yeah. really is. I like that. I might use that somewhere. Because it's
1: yours. Free it, of charge.
2: <laughs> thank you. Because... There is a chronic issue of lack of self-love in a world, and partly that's because of all this stress that's going on. And partly we have this culture that we should martyr ourselves to our work, and we should martyr ourselves to raising our children, and we should martyr ourselves to trying to please everybody. But actually, the pleasing everybody is a, uh, is a device that we're using to try and get them to love us back. Mm. oh
1: my God. It's so funny you say that because I have this app, The Pattern, right, and that's literally what it said on my pattern today.
2: Oh, really? Interesting. And
1: it's honestly way too real.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're mirroring so many people out there. Mm. And so rather than try so hard to get everybody to love us, do this very empowering technique so that you can begin to really really love yourself. And when you love yourself, not in a narcissistic way, but in a just a very wholesome way, you find that balance comes into all of your interactions and you stop trying to please people, you stop trying to control and manipulate people, you stop having unfair expectations of them. You give people enough space for them to live their life the way that they want to. And actually, by being a lighter happier more balanced and less intense version of yourself you find that actually people will love you a lot more because they can tell that you are being really authentic and that you are in your power Mm. so the the only way we will ever be loved is by finding more self-love and that's in the absence of these types of techniques that becomes very, very difficult because we've got we're all carrying so much baggage about ourselves. And we all have these core beliefs from a very, very young age that make loving ourselves actually quite difficult. Mm. And this is a very, very important topic because, you know, we've got someone who really doesn't love themselves in the White House. And as a result, they're causing all sorts of trouble for all sorts of people. And we to some extent, we all have a little bit of that. And, you know, when someone loves themselves and feels at peace with themselves, they don't shout at people. Mm. They don't cause all of this trouble and create all of these ripples and distortions. And they tend to be a beacon of quite lovely energy and they create all these vicious uh, sorry virtuous dynamics in the people and environments around them rather than slightly vicious ones Mm. so actually as we're talking it's very clear to me that self-love is one of the keys to a happy and healthy and sustainably happy world
1: yeah um it's so interesting that you talk about kind of becoming that more extreme version of yourself and you know, it it kind of does seem to, for, for me, stem from a bit of insecurity. I know sometimes when I get, you know, feel some type of way about a situation, I, I find myself leaving, kind of going a little to the right of my center, you know? Yes. And I'm getting so much better at checking myself, like even this morning when I was like, you know oh my god i could really go for like a shot of espresso and a pack of cigarettes <laughs> which i didn't i don't <laughs> even smoke but you know you have these feelings of like well that bucket mentality you it to check yourself and kind of come back is does that just happen over and over again obviously as you meditate you you can't possibly be centered all the time so do you find yourself even you getting away from that center sometimes?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's part of the human experience. Um, I could go and live a very, very easy, peaceful life somewhere and probably stay centered the whole time. But I feel called upon to help people and I'm kind of in the heart of London and I'm constantly interfacing with very stressy people and I'm working exceptionally hard. And in the face of all of that, you do find yourself being sort of slightly dragged this way or slightly dragged that way. The self-destructive tendencies that you're talking about, they all emanate from the subconscious. And the problem that people have is the subconscious is driving about 95% of our thoughts, actions, behaviors. And we can't just tell ourselves to do it properly. And everybody knows that because how many times, you know, How many times have we made New Year's resolutions and they haven't even lasted more than six weeks? (sighs) How many times have you tried getting yourself to calm down or someone said, oh, please calm down and you can't? And so...
1: I said that to my mom on family vacation a couple weeks ago. I was like, can you just calm down? And as soon as it left my lips, I was like, shit.
2: (laughs) Oh, dear. That doesn't generate a good response typically. So, and then the, the really harsh thing about this is people know that they don't actually have the level of self-control that they want. And they Mm. actually, everybody thinks they want control. What everybody's really aspiring for is mastery. Okay. And because control is a restriction. And nobody, we're meant to be free beings. So constraining yourself all the time, as perhaps some of the, you know, those religious people over time have done. It doesn't work, and you end up like that guy in Chocolat who ends up eating all the chocolate because he keeps <laughs> trying to restrain himself.
1: Love that movie. I
2: love that movie too. So,
1: Johnny Depp at his finest before indeed. all the miserable drama around him.
2: Well, you know, you said I was a try anything once guy. If I had to try that, it would probably have been Johnny <laughs> Circus <Yeah>. Chocolat. <laughs> so um, the uh, rather than try and restrain ourselves, which will never work because we will end up becoming a pressure cooker and it will burst. Yes you develop, you actually develop your subconscious to be free of all of those kinks that are driving you towards those self-destructive behaviours. And then you find actually your mind, your body, your emotions and your energy are all much more in alignment. So then you find yourself wanting healthy influences in your life. So even if I am a little bit over here or a little bit over there, I still don't find myself eating junk or doing anything, um, anything self-destructive, which is totally remarkable. I was so self-destructive. Uh, I would be one of those guys who wouldn't just you know, get stuck in with booze or drugs or anything like that. I would go way, way, way beyond what was considered safe or healthy. Um, and unfortunately, my parents both thought I was gonna die by the age of th- 30. So I've gone from being this very, very self-destructed individual to being someone who naturally gravitates towards healthy influences, even when, you know, things are a little bit heavy.
1: I have just been thinking about that control thing. And I think the reason why the control seems so appealing to me and probably a lot of other people is because it feels safer ultimately than letting things go, because that feels more like free falling.
2: Absolutely. That is 100% why everyone resorts to control because yeah. it feels safe and secure.
1: But that's what's giving me that tightness in my chest. That's what's making me angsty. That's what's making me pissed off at everybody in my life.
2: Well, because I you... mean, this is just today. Tomorrow's a new day. <laughs> but I'm just saying I've had
1: a morning people.
2: So the, the the reality of life is that there are so many variables going on. I mean, even in within a particular individual, obviously, you know how you slept, what you've got going on, what hits your inbox in the morning, your hormones, everything will determine where you're at. Let alone all of the other things that we have to interact with every single day. It's actually impossible to control that. So it's a complete delusion to think that you can control your way into feeling safe and happy. And unfortunately, you end up exhausting yourself trying. And the more you don't succeed, the more you feel you have to try Because if you just try controlling things a little bit more, then it'll be safe and it never is. And actually, control is very dangerous because when you resort to control as your mechanism for feeling safe, you typically become very rigid. Yes. And if you're rigid, then there's no flex. And I can't remember what it is that that martial artists say, but um, oh, that's right. If you don't bend, you break. Actually, the way to succeed in life is to be adaptive. Adaptive. But that is, if you don't have inner stability, and that's one of the key things that meditation brings you, then trying to be adaptive is not only going to feel very scary, but you will probably feel very ungrounded and um, completely out of control and perhaps in free fall, as you said. Yes. And that's not a happy place either. So it ultimately comes down to how do you find your own inner stability so that then You can be adaptive to what's going on in the world and you can stop always trying to manage and game and control everything and you can actually masterfully respond to things as and when they arise and then you can relax and you can chill out and you can enjoy this world because you know that you've got it. You know that you've got the capability to deal with what's coming at you and then that frees up all of your bandwidth to actually experience the joys of day-to-day living.
1: It's inner balance. Yes. And I do yoga, and I know you—you you don't love yoga, or you well, do. no,
2: I, I don't love the hardcore versions of yoga because they're not doing people's nervous systems as good as people would. Oh, so you mean like
1: rocket yoga and stuff like power that. yoga? Yeah, I don't like even, that. Either. Even
2: Ashtanga is like—it's a bit brutal on the nervous system. Fine.
1: So. Okay, but I can understand that. I can understand that. I love yin.
2: Oh yeah, baby, bring it on.
1: Oh my God, he just did the the rock on symbol, by the way, <laughs> for those listening. Um, yeah, yin yoga is, if I don't do yin once or twice a week, I feel like I'm going to die.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but one other thing, last thing about control is when if things eventually do break down after you've worked so hard to, you know, set up this perfect control, when it does break down, You can't help but have this feeling of, if I just worked a little bit harder, if I just controlled that a little bit more, if I only did this, that wouldn't have happened. And then you're just back in that viciousness.
2: Exactly, and the thing is, life will always find the cracks. So you cannot attain perfect control. That might be a romanticized concept you have, but had you managed to get that thing right in that particular scenario, one, two, three months later, another thing would have come along that mm. would have found another little crack, and eventually your your perfection is going to slip, and then things are going to crumble and the more the more control you know the more this complex framework of control that you've created in your life actually the more vulnerable you're going to be to complete collapse Mm. so you then you know one all it takes is one domino to set the whole thing off
1: and then it's breakdown territory and then it's
2: breakdown territory so actually if you find yourself in a state of breakdown the best lesson from that is control actually doesn't appear to work so i need to try and find a different way going back to control and trying even harder it's probably going to lead to another yeah. breakdown um, later. And actually, I feel that that's where anxiety ends up transitioning into depression. Yes. Lots of people with depression, it starts off with anxiety and you're, you know, you're trying to manage everything. And eventually you become hopeless because you realize that you can't actually control yourself into a state of happiness. So then what's the point of even trying? That's... And that's a desperate place to be.
1: Yes, I agree with that. Um, right. Somebody said to me, I truly believe, no, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to go back to this. Somebody once said to me, nothing fake lasts. Yes. And when I first heard it, I was like, mm. but then I, I just, for some reason, it just keeps repeating in my head. It's been like a month or two and it's very true. Yes, it is. It's kind of comforting in a way.
2: It is because obviously there is a lot of superficiality in the world. Yeah. Um, and it feels like it's never ending. But in actual fact, we humans, as much as we numb ourselves and we stress ourselves and distract ourselves, we are all capable of smelling a rat.
1: Oh, I know.
2: And there's no way that fakeness can survive. I met a constant. rat yesterday. Oh, did you? Yeah. Interesting. I know. Um, yeah, there's there's a few about <laughs> and uh,
1: big pr- big rat issue here in London.
2: And um, <laughs> so they they will get found out. Even the most charming, I mean, the dangerous ones are the very charming I rats. I know because for a while you're so taken in by the charm that you are actually purposefully ignoring some of those little slightly niggly insights you're having about it's this. It's so funny. Because you want that, you want that person to be how you've kind of fantasized them into being. Yeah. Or how they're attempting to present themselves. But eventually we get a rude awakening.
1: I know I'm trying to hone into the rat intuition a bit more.
2: Keep meditating. Yeah, Honestly, your, your, your perception of that is it goes up so much because you are able to read people. now?
1: People think I'm a rat, Will. Do they? Yeah. But
2: you know what? Everybody everybody who puts themselves out there is going to have detractors. Yes. And um, if you think about the people that we now revere as legends, whether we talk about the 20th century legends like Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, all these types of people, or if you go for the real historical big cheeses such as, you know, Jesus, Muhammad, and Buddha, and all these types, right? Anyone. I'm sure it was the same with Francis of Assisi, although I haven't actually, I don't knowingly know that people were detractors of his, but they all had masses of detractors in their day. And the simple fact of the matter is, if you are engaged in trying to do something good, if you're engaged in trying to help bring about change, or you're someone who is simply living in a vibrant way, you will find people projecting their stress onto you and projecting their own baggage onto you. They are fearful of change, and they want to cling to the status quo. They're jealous of the fact that they perceive you as having something they don't.
1: I like the, the, what you said about living a vibrant life. Because sometimes I find myself even having to check myself when I see somebody and it's because they're living a vibrant life and there's a bit of jealousy maybe in that.
2: Exactly, that's yeah. the thing. Because basically we're, we're envious that we don't feel that we have that for ourselves. Mm. And of course the classic thing we do is we extrapolate from that that they must just be having this perfect life and I don't have the perfect life and that's not fair because why shouldn't I have that life too? And the simple reality is they're probably, they've got their own insecurities and it's not always easy going for them. They just happen to be enjoying the sweetness of that moment very much or that phase of their life. You know, we all have phases where it's all just working beautifully. Um, And actually quite often the real measure of a person is how they deal with the times when things are tough and it's also a distraction if we keep thinking about other people and how we don't have what they have and how they should you know judging people and all that that's actually a hiding place because then we don't have to think about right working through our own stuff and taking responsibility for ourselves and we do live in a culture which is not really that empowering and is not actually about owning your shit and being responsible so then we
1: what's it about
2: what
1: what's the culture about i mean is it literally just brag culture 24 7 on instagram or <laughs> because how how can you possibly look through instagram and not feel that those feelings that we were just talking about i mean of course it's if you're a sic- more secure person it's much easier but I mean, that must be getting in the subconscious.
2: Oh, totally, it is. I mean, the advertising industry played a big part in giving everybody this idea of an idealized state and the fact that if you just have this, then you'll be better. There are numerous countries whereby, you know, every society works really, really well until they introduce television and then it all just goes to shit very quickly Because or all get internet access because all of a sudden we're now comparing ourselves with others. And, you know, there's mm. all these people around the world that have been looking at televisions for the last 40 years, seeing what America looks like and thinking that America must be paradise. And, of course, actually, America is a very mixed bag, um, which I'm sure amuses your Canadian self. Yes. Um, so um, we, again, we're projecting, we're extrapolating um, And yes, when you I mean, I'm not a big social media junkie, quite honestly, but when I do look through it, I can see all of the people trying to project this image of themselves. And again, that's their insecurity. So if I see a yoga teacher pulling some crazy contortionist move on Instagram, I'm like, yeah, I don't believe that, you know, stop. Stop trying to impress me, because actually what I want to see is the truth. I just want to see you being yourself. And if you are incapable of that, that's actually giving me very good information about you. And so, again, if you can get into your deeper essence, you're able to not just understand this at an intellectual level. You actually understand it emotionally. Because everybody is probably listening to this going, yeah, 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 I get that. But then the next time they look at Instagram, emotionally, they're they're still feeling lacking. (laughs) Exactly. Total goals. So um, if we are using... Instagram or Facebook or whatever your social media platform of choice is to try and project something that is greater than what actually is really going on, then you're setting yourself up for a fall. So we don't necessarily obviously want to be posting, oh, I'm just so depressed today. And everything well, yeah, else. exactly. So where's we don't the wanna, line? Where's the line? And that's a very good question. Um, I don't know if I can answer where the line is, but there is there is a way to be yourself without being a drag on everyone uh, because actually sometimes if you're in a bad place and you speak very honestly about that that will actually cause people's hearts to swell mm. so really it's about being honest with yourself rather than just oh things are shit oh london weather's rubbish yeah, I, or, th- I can't. i'm a victim moment. woe betide me you know if you come out with the woe betide me victim approach Nobody's going to dig that. But if you actually come out with a really, really human approach of, wow, you know, I'm really feeling, you know, I'm really feeling so lonely today. Um, and I feel like there's a part of me that's missing.
1: God, you're giving yeah. me great content ideas.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if you really tap into that place, that, that raw human experience, which we all know and have experienced and you express it in a way that is neither trying to impress people or get people to commiserate with you. Yeah. Simply just expressing something that is a deep truth, then you can actually create more connection through that and be authentic without being a drag to yourself or to others. So I would say that that perhaps is a is a healthier place to be which is just be be, be honest without being an attention bandit.
1: I'll tell you why that's hard, though. Um, it, it's because to actually be that honest and that vulnerable mm-hmm. in front of so many people, a lot of which want you to fail, maybe. Yes.
2: No, well, in this country, particularly. You know,
1: it's, it's a challenge, whereas I literally called my best friend this morning and I had that conversation of I'm lonely I don't know why I don't know what's going on blah 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 not even crying or anything just telling somebody how I feel if I would put that on my channel because I'm vlogging every day this month video every day wow. I, I've done things like that before I've always had a great response but I don't feel like I, I need to share it necessarily of course um, but it's is that what it's about connection should I be trying to connect all the time? Is there a boundary there where I only connect sometimes?
2: I think boundaries are always very, very important. Um, and you're probably the wrong person to say this to, but of course, we don't need social media. You know, social media is not food. Oh no, will I? Sex. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> so what is yeah. it?
1: So we what do we need? Food, sex, and what was the other one?
2: Food liquid air Dude, liquid sex, air, sex and maybe shelter and sleep exactly yeah so social media does not belong to those six fundamentals Hell of no. human existence Hell so no, it doesn't. the simple solution is maybe just don't even bother but of course in the reality of things people do bother do we need to overshare all the time do we need to bludgeon people with our misery no agreed um but from time to time like, I guess, give a balanced output of your state yes, of being. I agree. That's so I sometimes you give yourself the, the happy stuff. Sometimes it's kind of the reflective stuff. Sometimes it's the honest, raw stuff. Yeah. And just as long as it represents you, that's fine. If it's a true reflection of where you're at, I think the problems with social media come. Is A, when we try and create A difference between our reality and what we're projecting Mm -hmm. that actually we know we're being fake and that actually creates a lot of subconscious stress within us it causes a lot of self-loathing we start to hate ourselves we start to sabotage ourselves and we get ourselves in trouble and actually um, perpetuate this feeling of discord and then the second thing is as best you can and again this is easier when you're doing things like meditation to not be so susceptible to this. Stop looking at other people's attempts to impress the world and thinking that is actually their reality because it's not.
1: I agree. Put the blinders on a bit. Yeah. Quick fire questions, because we are running out of time. Sure, hit me. What happens if you fall asleep during meditation?
2: Go with it. Got it. (laughs) Because your body is tired and we need to give ourselves the rest and repair time it needs.
1: Is meditation for everyone?
2: Yes. My personal view is every single human being in the world wants to feel happier and wants to find a sense of meaning and purpose in their lives. And meditation is the most powerful way that you can do that, that I've ever encountered.
1: Is meditating religious?
2: No, it doesn't. It actually, in most cases the technique originated before those dogmatic uh things arose and a good example would be the stuff from india you know this technique is actually ten thousand years old hinduism is like three and a half thousand years old hinduism and buddhism and all of these different isms ended up co-opting different techniques some of those could be prayer for example um and they've become colored with the thing that ended up co-opting them which is unfortunate because, of course, there are lots of atheists and agnostics in the world who don't really want to have anything to do with those things. And, of course, if you're part of one religion, well I can't do their techniques because that would mm. be stepping outside, of, stepping off the reservation. And there is, at the end of the day, we're all humans. This technology works at the level of the brain, the body, and energetically as well. And it doesn't matter whether you believe in this ideology or that ideology or another ideology, it works. If you want to then buy into an ideology, great, that's your choice. And if you are in a state of balance, you will, you will find yourself, I feel, coming up with your own religion rather than feeling the need to borrow somebody else's rule book. So actually, a good analogy of this co-option thing is Christmas christian thing is it this modern consumerist thing or is it a pagan thing because actually it started off with this uh pagan festivities and then the christian church saw all of these people being more into their sort of animist traditions go, well how are we going to get them to buy into our thing well then let's kind of conflate the two things and even though the Bible suggests that Jesus was born in uh, between spring and autumn. Let's actually put the birth of Christ around the. Well,
1: the Christians are freaking out right now. You got to stop.
2: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> all right, I will rein it in. Um, yes. So, it's um, it can be all three things. Christian can be a Christ, uh, Christmas can be a Christian thing and a pagan thing and just a modern atheist consumer thing all at the same time. It's all about how you interact with it. Mm -hmm. that's it
1: and so so i we didn't touch on this earlier but it's 20 minutes Yes, did you say ish
2: 20 minutes seems to be something that your brain and body work really well with
1: okay once a day or twice a day
2: depends what you're looking to achieve in your life if you want just some moderate balance in your life go for once a day If you want to go for gold, go twice a day most days. Amp it up.
1: Can you meditate anywhere or do you need to kind of set up a space with a Persian rug and a little poof and some incense and, you know, flowers and fruit everywhere?
2: No, just keep it real. Meditate anywhere.
1: I I know you told me that I should be meditating on airplanes. Oh, big time. And I have been doing that.
2: That's a very good move.
1: I've been doing that.
2: Makes it go quicker, less jet lag. Yeah, Brilliant.
1: especially you told me specifically, well, it's like taking off and coming down. And yes. I've, I've been doing I probably look absolutely psychotic because I've got my hands like in my lap. I've got my palms up and I'm doing my mantra and it's just everything's great.
2: Exactly. That's the whole thing. It just makes that whole experience so much more pleasant and less detrimental to your being. So take off and landing is always a good idea. If it's long haul, maybe sneak a couple in between and then you will arrive the other side and you'll still feel yourself.
1: Well, that's a great place to end. I think I've got to get back on the wagon. I know I've I know I've been knowing that you were going to come on the podcast <laughs> and I'm thinking, "Oh my god, I haven't been meditating." But it's 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 something I want to do. It's I don't know what happened there, but I'm not going to beat myself up about it. Good. Um I've purged everything I've needed to purge about meditation and tomorrow's a new day.
2: Good for you. Well, if you need if you wish for me to be your kind of uh meditation buddy slash what are those fitness people you know personal your, trainer yeah your personal your meditation <laughs> personal trainer that sounds good i'll take that well on.
1: actually i have the one last thing to say um, is that my dog passed away 2 months ago oh so um, basically when that happened i was he's was like my best friend and everything like that you know mm. the whole the whole story i mean the old me would have just gone completely off the wagon i'm talking off, yeah. All crystal sense meth of. off. <laughs> Not quite at crystal <laughs> meth, but like maybe like a few stops before that yeah. stop. And um, for some reason, when that happened, I just thought I'm going to approach this differently. And in that, re- the real thick of things, I was meditating. Well done. And it helped.
2: It really does. That's so. The
1: thing. I'll say that.
2: And uh, so this is the interesting thing when you when you find yourself in times of trouble. Sorry, Paul McCartney for that borrow, but um, (laughs) instead of thinking of Mother Mary, maybe you can think of your mantra and you will pull through in a much more, um, just, it will be quicker. It will be, you you will find that you don't feel like everything's crumbling around you. You just manage to get through it in an okay kind of way.
1: Yes. I I mean, people were looking at me like, you seem fine. You seem like you're doing great. And I'm like, don't get me wrong, like... I'm okay, but it's hard, but I'm not dying in in a way that I think I probably would have if I started drinking yeah. or partying or just doing bad things.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. It's, we find ourselves falling to our knees with these life situations when they occur. And so meditation is, I would say, the ultimate coping mechanism for those things. And you can still grieve the loss of your yes. dog, but Just because you're grieving doesn't mean to say that you need to go into this absolutely dark, depressive hole where everything feels like where everything feels empty and meaningless. Yes. And then, of course, when you come out the other side, if you actually choose to keep up this practice, it then becomes the bedrock of of living a more powerful life, a more vibrant life, actually, because. And one of the lovely ancient concepts is the idea that happiness, there's two types of happiness. There's prayer, which is the spike highs of happiness that we're all very used to. And then you've got sukha. And the sukha is your set point of happiness through your day. And one of the things that meditation does is it raises your sukha value quite high. And so then, regardless of what's going on, you're just feeling vibrant. You're feeling more yourself. And it feels solid, and so that's one of the big values of meditating when things are okay mm. because actually what we're doing is we're building up our super value in our life and then because you're feeling good you don't feel the need to resort to these destructive influences and you don't feel the need to bring other people down judging them being negative being bitchy being gossipy it's like yeah. hey you know i feel good you only tend to do those things when you're not in a great place.
1: I agree with that.
2: So get yourself into a great place and then just be more of a more of the human being that you would ultimately yes. aspire to be.
1: And last thing is, not to bring it back to my dog, but there was a part of me that thought, I should be sadder. Yeah. I should be experiencing this in a different way. I should be... Going through that dark time where, you know, even when I'm working, I should be pushing myself to the brink of exhaustion. I'm not working hard enough. And I think that is a problem in our culture, too, where it's like if you're not feeling, you know, at your breaking point, you're not doing it hard enough, you know.
2: And so there's an interesting thing going on there. Um, The religious um, culture that underpins our culture was always about like, you know, the Protestant work ethic, work hard, work hard. You know, if you if you're a good enough little soldier each and every day, then one day you'll get to heaven. That's the kind of message. And there's something in the Western industrialized culture, even though we've kind of transcended a lot of those religious dynamics, we have. Co-opted this idea that if we just keep pushing ourselves or if we suffer enough, yes, then we will be worthy of heaven.
1: That internal suffering.
2: Exactly. And it's like that to anyone who's ever experienced enlightenment is just the most comical idea that we are supposed to suffer in order to be happy. Mm. And that heaven is somewhere outside of us. Yes. Heaven is within you. Actually, I have to say, even Jesus said this, you know, the kingdom of heaven is within you. That's true. Mm. And so find that place within you. W- and when you're there, you can still be human, but you don't you no longer f- feel that lack of self-worth and self-love that causes you to think that you must suffer as a result. Yeah. So work on the self-love, work on the, the self-esteem, and then you can transcend the need to feel like you've got to go through absolute hell in order to one day arrive at this mythical kind of outcome where you finally feel peace. Yes.
1: Well, to everyone listening, I hope that resonated with even one of you (laughs) because um, I know I found this chat particularly interesting. I could go on and on and on, but I think I'll let Will leave and go home so he can meditate a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where can people find you online if they want to learn more?
2: So if you'd look at if you'd like to look at our website, it's Bijameditation dot com. So B E E J A. And um good harmony. And then if you want to actually explore the app, it go into the app store, B J Meditation, and um yeah. Check it out. And if it feels good to you, this is another big part of what I try and get across. Just feel it out, see if it resonates. If it does, then perhaps give it a whirl. And if it doesn't, go out and find the thing that does resonate with you because there will be something out there for every single person. Right. And if they just kind of, you know, explore a little bit.
1: Yeah. And one thing can lead to another thing. Exactly. So,
2: you know, if at first you don't succeed, just try another thing because the value of finding this life tool that will literally serve you and make you happier for the rest of your life is so huge Mm. that it's worth giving it a little bit of time. You know, think how much time we invest on finding the right person to spend our lives with oh, don't if you invested on that. 0.1% of that energy in finding the right meditation technique for you a you'd be happy and b you'd probably end up with the person that's right for you
1: i need to come to one of the group meditation you do three classes
2: do. every three times a week really yeah and we're only like what five minutes away from
1: yeah you? i know i know so is it just you just meditate as a group
2: Yes. You come along. It's like 50 minutes. We do a meditation. We have a bit of a chit chat about some of these very interesting things that have come up during the week so that we help you come to terms with what's going on, optimize your approach to life, to meditation and have a juicy meditation because meditating in a group is exponentially more powerful than meditating on your own.
1: I do believe that.
2: Mm. We've probably experienced it.
1: Well, I've experienced it in the in the course, and I—I know I said I was going to wrap this up, but I just have to say that sometimes, especially during the course when we were meditating, maybe it was because it was part of a group, or maybe it was just because I was really in the thick of it. But you have some really interesting experiences where, you know, sometimes you might feel like you're floating, sometimes you might feel like you're not spinning but like twirling around. It's very interesting, but let's not get into that right now. If you're interested in meditation, you guys know the links. Um, I encourage you to at least explore it. Thank you so much,
2: Will. You're welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title.